peeps out there. It's time for another episode of the show. And in this one, uh, Dr. Ange and I are back, and we're here to cover part two of our coverage of Night Force. In this episode, we're going to be covering issues three, four, and five, and really, really great part of this uh, series here we're covering. This is, I don't know if it's the best, but it's a really, really good part of this. You know, a lot happens, a lot goes on in this uh this episode for us and we're really trying to do a great job covering it but there's a lot going on so you really got to keep up so uh, definitely uh, check this one out and uh, we'll be right back after a quick break here to start the show Good evening. Tonight, I'm going to tell you another strange and unusual story of the unexplainable which lies behind the veil. All through his history, man has constantly striven to push back the frontiers of knowledge, to discover what lies behind the veil which separates knowledge from ignorance. In my own lifetime, I've seen things come to pass that would be unbelievable to my parents and to my grandparents. Travel through the air, the ability to speak to a friend halfway around the world. Well, if these wonders have occurred in so short a time, just think of what our children and grandchildren will be able to know and understand. Happenings that to us defy explanation will be commonplace and ordinary to them. But whether we understand it or not, the event that we depict in tonight's story was very real. Welcome back to the Bronze Age of Horror Comics. And this is going to be my second episode in the series covering the title of Night Force, uh, the uh, series from DC Comics from uh, 1982. And of course, uh, that means I am joined by my Night Force uh, co-host, Dr. Ange. How are you, man? I'm doing very well. I feel as though perhaps my name has been uh, placed in a book uh, decades ago before I was born. How could they know what I would look like? Baron <laughs> Winters must be up to mischief. <laughs> yeah, don't open the wrong door at his house. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, yeah, man. So, yeah, we're going to continue on here. You know, we already did the preview and issue one and two, and that was a that was a long one, you know, but we had to get some of the... Uh, initial stuff out of the way here with our initial thoughts in the series and talked a little bit about the creative team and stuff like that. So hopefully we won't ramble on for two solid hours again, but you never know what the night might hold, you know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, these are three issues that are packed full of stories. So I think we'll just have to be choosy about what we decide to cover in depth. Yep. So you know what? No, we, we can't screw around here too much then. That's it. We're going to just dive right into it. How, is, how does that sound? <laughs> Sounds perfect. Yeah, so, yeah, we left off uh, with issue two. You know, that one finished up, and uh, we had, uh, you know, already set uh, into motion, you know, Dr. – I'm sorry, uh, our buddy the Baron, his plans here of, you know, he's uh, got a couple of guys and uh, a lady uh, named uh, Vanessa Van Helsing, actually a young woman. She's just about to turn 21 that's having all this, you know, psychic phenomena happen either around her or because of her. 
And then we have the uh, CD uh, rag newspaper reporter, uh, our buddy Jack Gold and Donovan Kane, who was the one that was uh, having some uh, experiments with uh, a bunch of naked college students at a university. <laughs> yep. And Wolfman somehow brings them all together. So, <laughs> yeah, it sounds kind of wonky, but yes, he's he's already just in that preview in the first two issues. You know, laid kind of everything out, uh, uh, laid a good foundation for everything here with these characters. You know, the the Baron we know he's it looks like he's you know a middle aged guy, but apparently he's been around for a very long time and lives in a house. It sort of reminds me of uh, Howl's Moving Castle for anybody that's uh, seen that movie, where you open a door and you don't know where you're going to end up. Yeah, you know that's a great analogy, and it's not only like where will you end up, but when you will end up. I think is um, also the intriguing part of this house. Yeah, for sure. So, all right. Well, we'll just get into it right here. Uh, so the the DC, uh, a lot of times for uh, the Marvel and DC uh, lately within the last couple of months, instead of handwriting out a synopsis, I'll use, you know, DC or Marvel fandoms website. Well, there is, I believe, a synopsis for three, but it is like a mile long and there isn't one for four or five. So what I'm going to do is over at uh, comics.org, there is a tiny, like, you know, one or two sentence little synopsis that I'm just going to rattle off quickly that is extremely broad in its scope. But uh, just use that as a, a, a launch point for us to just get right into it and then uh, hit this one uh, page by page. What do you think? Sounds perfect. All right. So issue three. Here we go. <laughs> uh, the Summoning Chapter Three Journeys. Baron Winter sends Donovan Kane and Jack Gold to Russia to find Vanessa Van Helsing. <laughs> that's wow. that's what they that's what they got here. Pretty uh, pretty intense, huh? <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, it, you know, unlike comics today, this this took me like twenty five minutes to read. So the fact they could distill it mm -hmm. into one sentence is amazing. <laughs> yeah. So I I'll be honest here. I was trying to uh, read over this. I usually like kind of look over it, skim it, and then read it, you know, uh, cover to cover. But I was trying to do the uh, light reading, skimming, looking at the artwork for things uh, kind of part while I was listening to a podcast that I was editing. Uh, and then I was also had uh, the TV on in the background with, I think, soccer highlights. And that did not go over well. <laughs> yeah, that, that did not go over well because these, you know, these, uh, these comics are very uh, packed full of things that you really need to have your full attention focused on, right? No, I, I agree. Um, he, you know, Wolfman uh, is pushing things along um, at a fast pace, but, um, you know, you're changing scenes, you're meeting new characters, you're hearing character development. There's like a lot of stuff to digest. Mm hmm. Yeah. And I mean, it's it starts out right on the first page here. You know, we got our buddy, the Baron, and he's uh, having a conversation with his uh, cheetah Merlin, who seems to have a personality uh, all of his own. And, uh, you know, he's kind of just on the phone with somebody and uh, having a bit of a conversation here. And I do love how <clears throat> when you get past that initial splash page, which is pretty good splash page there. Oh, you know what? I'm sorry. I totally brain farted here. What about the cover here? How about this cover? I do really like this cover quite a bit here between with uh, Gene Colan and Bob Smith. What about? Yeah. It? Yeah. You, you know, I think the thing that's it's pretty obvious that there is a skull motif happening here as we see a boat with two lights um, with the full moon behind it. Um, and then, of course, there's action as someone's oh, yeah. on the boat 
gunning down Jack Gold and Donovan Kane who are in the water. So um, it's a it's a great uh, action scene. It's it's certainly mysterious and and obviously this this feeling or, or this you know symbolism of skull and death I think uh, is both obvious but uh, but brings you in. Yeah, it's really cool. Like you said, there's a it's like a hovercraft with a guy uh, shooting a machine gun trying to kill uh, Jack and Donovan. And there's, you know, this gigantic uh, moon in the background and two of the lights from the hovercraft almost are uh, making like uh, eyes there. So, yeah, really, really cool. And I do love how in the O of Night Force, uh, we have a giant skull there in the middle. I love that, too. Yeah, yeah, that's really cool. So, yeah, you get to the first page here and. Uh, again, like I was getting into a, a really cool scene where the Baron's on the phone and Merlin's there <clears throat> and he is standing uh, near a window and the light coming in from the window here looks really cool because the rest of the room is pitch black. I really like what Gene did here. Yeah, uh, yeah. this whole book is just very atmospheric is probably the best way that I can say it. Like uh, there's no scene like he really, you can tell, put detail and really cinematography in this, right? That's a kind of a mm-hmm. shot from above looking down to really give you a sense of the space of that of that room and it allows him to do that that light coming in from the window yeah really really cool stuff there so yeah the baron kind of you know walks out of the room into like his uh, grand uh, hallway entranceway here and i like how he goes to a uh, library here and he pulls a book off of the shelf and the book is called Night Force. And I was like, what? But it looks more like a uh, photo album with uh, some reference, right? Yeah. You know, we talked about it last time that, you know, it sounds like the Baron is almost like the shadow, that he has agents that he employs. And so this is really where you get a good sense, like Wolfman is is building this character. He rattles off like five or six different names. And, and then amongst those names, like this guy's dead. This person is recovering. Right. You know, uh, so mm-hmm. you know that this isn't easy work by any means. Right. You know, this is this is dangerous stuff. Yeah, it's interesting. He it really, like we said, he tries to act as if he's a bit mysterious, but we do know quite a bit about him already that he's very long lived. And he's done this before where he's either manipulated people into doing something he needed them to do or coerce them or Some of the people that he's uh, involved with, we'll find out, are doing it willingly, you know, because they kind of believe in whatever he's uh, selling. Yeah, yeah. And and the other thing that's interesting is that, like, he talks about the guy who's dead, and he's like, oh, I guess he can't help us now. But if something happens in the past, (laughs) we might be able to use him in the past, right? Because we also know that he can travel, you know, Mm -hmm. from his house into different times. And so, you know, uh, I'm not going to throw that page out because maybe I'm going to go back into the past and I'll use the guy then. So... Yeah, and then I come to page four here. I really like this page. We see uh, a thunderstorm going on, and I love how uh, the Baron is sitting in one of his chairs, and he's got a footstool there resting his feet, and Merlin's right next to him, and he says, mm, thunder. It appears a storm is brewing, uh, so what else is new? And you hear <laughs> crack, you know, and you see some light coming in, and then in the next scene, you see that lightning uh, right by a plane as well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, as I said, you know, the, the scenes in, in the Baron's house, it's almost like, you know, the house of mystery sort of, you know, there's that mm-hmm. sort of sense to these things. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I love how he says, you know, a storm is brewing. And obviously he means <laughs> literally and uh, yeah. metaphorically as well. <laughs> so, yeah, good stuff there. Yeah, Wolfman, he's he's really cooking here. He's really got uh, his A game with this. And then uh, we see uh, Vanessa and her uh, captors uh, taking her through uh, customs. And they're uh, getting on a, a plane to uh, head elsewhere. And <laughs> this was something I found really funny. So I get this was 1982. And he had been there previously, but uh, our buddy Jack, he just storms right into the Pentagon and right into a major's office. Yeah, I don't think you'd want to try that today. Yeah, uh, I don't think, uh, I guess, you know, um, the security guards at the front door weren't there, right? (laughs) Because he's deep in the bowels of this place. (laughs) Yeah, I'm thinking, I don't think the major's office is right inside the front door. But even if it's in like, you know, the first hallway you go down, like, uh, yeah, I'm not sure. And not even back then, if you were uh, just walking in there, I don't not yeah. not, not seeing that. <laughs> but uh, we have this uh, secretary here, and uh, she seems to be in the employ of whoever this uh, shadowy figure is that seems to have, you know, also have some people working for him uh, around the globe. That's kind of uh, almost like uh, an enemy for Baron Winters here. Yeah, and, and um, I'll just go back to the scene um, in the Pentagon for one second. So. You know, mm-hmm. we learned last issue or in the first issue that there were two um, uh, FBI agents that were going to Vanessa that were killed and replaced. And here, yep. Jack learns that that's true. Jack is like, your two your two agents kidnapped Vanessa. And he's like, no, those guys were fished out of the water. So, um, mm-hmm. so you know, you're starting to see, um, you, you know, there's no detail that I think is left unchecked by by Wolfman. He didn't have to have this scene, but this is Jack being an investigative reporter and learning this. And then I just want to point out the bottom of page six, the smoke from Jack's cigarette kind of forms like the face of a devil. and Or a ghost or something, yeah. Yeah, or a ghost. And we're going to see that throughout this, which I think is this unhealthy attachment that Vanessa has with him uh, is my only explanation for it, because I don't think he has any powers. Um, uh, but we'll see that motif through, um, and it's it's just interesting. Yeah, I did notice it one other time, too, in one of these uh, other issues we're going to talk about, and I didn't know if that was something Gene just put in there to be, you know, make it seem a little bit more cool or fun or mysterious or something, or if there was supposed to be some significance to that. But, yeah, that's really cool. Good catch there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, uh, what's her name here? I'm sorry. I think it's Carrie Holmes. Yeah, this secretary and she calls up uh, whomever this person is. He's never named. She just picks up the phone, rattles off what's going on. And the person says, you know, uh, we're going to take care of it or we're going to do this or we're going to do that. So you don't know. Again, we have no idea who this person is. And other than they're like an antithesis to uh, uh, the Baron. Yeah. Good foil. Um, uh, Mm -hmm. Because he also is like sitting in posh chairs with canes and things like that. He feels like Baron Winters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe he's got an evil twin, but we'll find out here. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So then the the scene takes a, an abrupt uh, switch here, and we go to the uh, the funeral of uh, Donovan Kane's wife because uh, she had been killed. If you recall, uh, in our last episode, we talked about how uh, there was a scene where uh, you know uh, Vanessa's powers and the psychics and everything just went completely you know bonkers and out of control, and a couple of the students were killed at least. And uh, poor Donovan's wife got killed in the uh, fracas as well. Yeah, and it's interesting because, um, like, vengeance for his wife's death or figuring out what is what, you know, who is pulling the strings, 
becomes his motivation, right? This is a college professor. And now, as we'll see, right, he's like, I'm going to get on a plane and I'm going to travel to the to the Soviet Union and try to ba- break into a base. Right. You know, I mean, that's that's not in his usual state, uh, you know, um, daily activities. But he's really upset. Obviously, you know, his wife died, um, but he's not mm-hmm. going to let it rest. Yeah, that's a really sad scene, too, because his, his little his little boy is there and his son. It's I don't know, maybe I don't even know if the kid's five. He's He's very young. And he says about, you know. Why did mommy die? And she wasn't old or sick, was she? And no, she wasn't, he says to him. And it's just, it's a really, really sad scene. But he comes home and before he can even take his jacket off, uh, our buddy Jack is there and he's like, don't worry, it wasn't your fault. She died. And, you know, let's go. Uh, we need to figure this out. And I've got some information for you. And Donovan doesn't even want to hear it. And he just clobbers Jack. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He just lays him out with one punch, right? Uh, he doesn't want to hear it. Um, uh, which I think makes them unlikely partners as we move along, right? These guys don't like mm-hmm. each other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like a uh, you know, good cop, bad cop here. So it's going to be interesting because there's Jack, you know, laying there with his, you know, mouth busted open. And he kind of says to uh, Donovan, he's like, hey, listen, you don't have to believe me. He's like, call the Baron and uh, he'll tell you I'm straight about this. So. Um, then we see Jack and uh, he goes back to his uh, motel there in Georgetown and promptly gets fired, <laughs> which is yeah. kind of hilarious because it's like, you know, he's in the middle of working on a story for a newspaper that's, you know, one of your grocery store aisle like <laughs> junk papers that just, you know, talks about Bat Boy and <laughs> UFO landings and crap like that. And he gets fired from that. It's like, um, OK, but the, his boss uh, does mention that uh, Baron Winters says you threatened him. So that's when he kind of knows like, oh, so that's why I got fired, huh? He figures it out. Yeah. Um, and it, it was hard for me to tell, you know, at the beginning scene when he's going through, when the Baron is going through that Night Force book, he's like, this guy can help me and and, and holds a photo, which looks kind of like this editor. So I don't know if this guy is is a, a, an agent of the Baron willingly, or this is just I'm going to use him because I need Jack to be completely devoted to the mission. So I will mm-hmm. just tell this guy I got um, that uh, I got threatened. So he will fire Jack and free him to to do my work. So, yeah, I mean, Jack was probably on thin ice as it was. So maybe it's not that hard to believe. But I love that middle panel on page 11 there where he slams the phone off the floor and it goes flying. <laughs> yeah, great. yeah. And and again, on, on the page before, his smoke has sort of like that demon face. And at the bottom of page 11, again, we sort of see that. Um, mm-hmm. so, so it's just very interesting. And and Jack is pretty flawed, right? You know, he starts to, mm-hmm. you know, his, his hands are shaking. And we learn, you know, from, from the uh, editor on the page before, he's like, you know, I helped you when you went to AA. I helped you when you were on the street, you know. So so he's he's lived a life. You know, and and I'm sure this isn't helping things. Yeah. And then uh, we switch scenes again to then police headquarters and we see there's a, you know, the the cops are talking to a uh, a, a doctor here. And it's funny. He says, uh, what did he say to the doctor? He goes, oh, the doctor says to him, there are traces of gastric juices, just traces, but still definite. That flesh detective short was eaten. And Detective Short's looking at a microscope, and he says, great, if you can pardon the awful pun, Doctor, we have a real gourmet out there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And now, am I being a little too off base here, or in that bottom panel on page 12, the Doctor, the way he's rendered by Gene Colan, looks a little like Donald Pleasance to me. 
No, I agree with you. You know, I was saying like, boy, this guy looks so familiar. And, you know, now that you mention it, he does look like him. Yeah, I was just like, that kind of looks like, I wonder, and I thought, well, you know, I mean, you figure late 70s and early 80s, the Halloween movies were pretty huge and stuff like that. So maybe that's what he was going for. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mm. It's it's interesting, you know, um, uh, you, you we'll see that the this scene and this detective plays out a little bit over the next couple of pages. But, it, you know, this is the Georgetown police who are investigating like all of these dead bodies that have been found on, on the streets, you know, when Vanessa's power went mad. Um, mm -hmm. And, and it's just, we also know that, and uh, you know, our heroes are going to be chasing Vanessa, you know, to a different continent. So I just wonder in the end, and again, I haven't read ahead too far, like did this subplot about this detective even kind of need to be there, you know, is this going to impact what happens with our main characters? Um, but certainly, you know, it adds to the horror to know that, you know, those demonized bodies were like chewed up. I mean, that's pretty gross. Yeah. And then on page 13 too, a, a cop comes in and says, detective short. And he's like, I got pictures for you about the kidnap victim. So he's got pictures of Vanessa, but there's two corpses laying there with their feet hanging out and tags. Yeah. On their toes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's wild. So, yeah, and then we see, yeah, he's got pictures of Vanessa, and, you know, he says, uh, Detective Short says about uh, Donovan Kane, he says, wasn't he the one who helped us to solve those voodoo murders? Which is kind of interesting. I thought, you know, I know there's been a couple more series of uh, Night Force, and I thought, man, they should do one where it's, you know, instead of going forward in time, go back in time and talk about that. That sounds cool. Yeah, yeah. It It is one of the things that I sort of noticed is that, we Wolfman injects all of this backstory to these guys so that they really feel like three dimensional characters. So you're right. You know, the, the fact that, you know, he's a parapsychologist and he's working for a university like, yeah, he would probably know how to help them crack a voodoo murder. And I would like to see that. Yeah. And I'm thinking to myself, we know from interviews and things like that, uh, Marv Wolfman, you know, he had big plans for this series to go on and on and on, and it got cut short, you know, because maybe sales weren't as robust as they were hoping. So I wonder if he ever was going to touch on that. Yeah, yeah. You know, if he would ever go back to these characters, so. Yeah, hey, Marv, I'll buy it, you know. <laughs> no, I know. <laughs> so, yeah, and then our buddy uh, Detective Short goes to visit uh, Donovan and to kind of question him about uh, Vanessa and what was going on with the... Uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, with her at the psychiatric hospital, he kind of says, hey, you need to go to talk uh, Dr. Rabin and talk to her about that. But, uh, you know, we really weren't uh, like he kind of is a little coy about what he says about, you know, he doesn't really get into detail about what he was uh, doing with Vanessa. But he kind of says more to uh, go talk to Dr. Rabin about it, because I guess I don't think he doesn't want to uh, incriminate himself about anything that might not go over well with the police. Right. Yeah, it's, you know, I mean, we have seen him doing satanic rituals and black baptisms, and all he says is, <laughs> you know, she is somehow tied in with certain energy waves I was testing, right? Because he probably doesn't want to tell the cop, like, I'm having an orgy with my college students, <laughs> you know, because the cop would probably arrest him. <laughs> <So. laughs> I do like as he's seeing him out the door as well. Yeah, uh, he's uh, the phone rings and it's ring is the sound effect right next to the phone. Yeah, like that. <laughs> so uh, yeah, we switch to uh, Kennedy International Airport, and it looks like there's a cop there talking to a customs agent about uh, you know, showing the pictures of Vanessa to him, and he's like, yeah, yeah, I I saw her. She took off to London. Must have landed by now. The girl looked really out of it because you know, obviously they had her drugged and. 
Now we see somebody uh, parking a car and running into uh, Baron Winter's house, and it's our buddy Jack, and he comes flying in and grabs the Baron, and he wants to know what's really going on. And, you know, did you have me fired? He's all pissed off. And, of course, you know, Merlin starts growling at him too, but he doesn't really get all uh, scared about Merlin this time. He was really scared of him earlier when they – you know, first met, but he doesn't seem too scared of him this time. Calls him an overgrown Garfield. <laughs> yeah, and, and I think that he, you know, he basically tells the cat, you know, um, I will break Baron Winter's back unless you calm down. So he's talking to Merlin not as a cat, but as though somebody, something, you know, who understands his words. Because then, of course, we see Merlin kind of meekly, you know, relax a little bit. Yeah, and on page 16 there, too, that's where the top panel. But I'm interested to hear what you think of that. You know, the the middle panel, which takes up probably two thirds of that page there. Gene did like a shot where, uh, you know, on the left hand side of the page, there's conversation going on. And Baron Winters is walking by a suit of armor down a hallway with Jack behind him and uh, Merlin as well. And then on the right side of the page, he has them walking towards the reader instead of away from the reader. And again, in that order, like conversing still. But it's it's interesting. I like what he's trying to do there. But I feel like there's not a really good breakup between the left and the right page. You know, I mean, it, it looks a little it looks a little off because there's not like a really good break there. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's one big panel and it's kind of broken up because there is this black like angled line in the middle that sort of like defines the corridor, but also defines the archway they're working. They're walking through on the other side. So mm. it kind of feels like two panels, but it's really not. It's one panel, like you say, you know, and so you sort of saying like, wait, they're walking away from me and walking towards me in one panel. And I don't know if that's Gene just saying like, this is a messed up house that has weird things that go on. So this could actually be happening. Or if he was just sort of being a little bit experimental. Yeah, I think it probably, the, I think he could be being, you know, a little bit uh, experimental and, you know, because the house is so crazy too. Like you said, almost like the house of mystery was, it's yeah. you know, kind of crazy stuff happens there. But I do like in that conversation how, you know, uh, the Baron starts to uh, divulge a little bit more about Vanessa. And he, you know, mentions her name, Van Helsing. And the two of them go back and forth about, you know, the Van Helsings and the legend and Dracula and this and that. And, you know, the Baron kind of poo-poos Dracula as being a real, you know, air quotes, real vampire, but doing a lot of crazy stuff, which I kind of thought, eh, I don't know about that, Baron. Like, you want me to believe all the stuff you're talking about and, yeah. you know, psychic snakes and everything else, but you don't believe there was a, a Dracula? Hmm. Yeah, and, um, you know, for guys like us, right, you know, I'm sure that when you saw Vanessa Van Helsing, you were like, oh, Van Helsing, that's interesting. So to tie it actually in to the the Stoker book, um, I thought was, was pretty cool. Um, mm -hmm. as, you know, and it's like, oh, you know, Bromster, you know, the real Von Helsing had these psychic attacks like Vanessa did. Um, and uh, and that's why I've been sort of, you know, following her along. Um, so, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. And then we get, you know, they're they're having a pretty uh, long talk about that. And then they talk about, you know, uh, even Dr. Abraham, you know, Van Helsing himself was a victim of many sordid psychic attacks and. They get really deep into that. And I do like, too, that on page 17, you know, if you recall, when Jack first got to his house, it was like pitch dark, like it was the middle of the night or late at night or something like that. You know, the street light was on and everything like that. Um, and then now it shows an outside shot of Baron Winter's house 
and it's broad daylight. So have they been there talking all night? Yeah, yeah. Um, that's uh, I didn't I didn't pick that up before, but I think you're probably right. Uh, again, you, you know, it depends what you want to how you want to take it. You either say they've been talking for 10 hours or you say time is really weird in that house and they've been talking for two pages and 10 hours has passed. Um, uh, but but great pickup. I didn't I didn't pick that up. Yeah, I thought that was interesting. And then Jack is like, oh, no, like you, you almost had me there for a minute, Baron. You're talking about Satan like, you know, he's a real guy. And and the Baron's like, oh, no, not the Satan of myth. He says <laughs> Milton's representation or the one with horns and forked tail. He kind of is like trying to explain to Jack that, you know, the experiments they were doing was just a, like a personification of evil, not, you know, the guy with the pitchfork and horns. Yeah, which, um, you know, they they start to explain that you know, evil is an energy and, and they are giving Vanessa these images of devils to help her coalesce this energy and form it into things. Um, and so she is creating all of these monsters, uh, in a way, you know, he says it's, you know, life imitating art. They're, they're, they're showing her pictures of Satan. And so she's manifesting Satan, um, which, um, it's pretty interesting, right? It kind of mm-hmm. it more scientific and less, you know, religious and, and horrific and yet even more horrific because it means it's all from her imagination and nothing more. Yeah. And I mean, they, again, keep talking and talking and talking. And eventually the Baron says about, you know, um, I need you and Mr. Kane to save Vanessa. And Jack's like, Kane, yeah, it's not going to happen. He never would do it. And all of a sudden, there he is in the back corner, and <laughs> he says, don't bet on it, Gold. I want my wife's killers. So the next thing you know, the two of them are on a, uh, a transatlantic, transatlantic fight, and uh, they're heading over to uh, England because that's where uh, the Baron knows Vanessa is currently. And they jump on a, a plane, and there they are. So, you know, here we go, London, which, you know, of course it's London, so you have to see Big Ben and stuff like <laughs> that. But <laughs> I like how they go to visit this old lady who's like a librarian, and they're looking for a certain book. And the old lady kind of lets on that her and the Baron used to uh, kind of, I think, get it on. So <laughs> what'd you think of that scene? <laughs> yeah, you know, it, uh, it, you know, it's a great scene because she looks like she's about, you know, 80. And, mm-hmm. and she was like, oh, you know, back in the 1920s, we had a fling. I always did have a thing for older men. And so you're know, like, the, the timeline doesn't quite add up for the, the way the Baron looks right now. So that's strange. And then she produces this book that looks like a grimoire of some sort. And on the cover is a picture of Vanessa on a pentacle. And she says, oh, you know, this was written in 1928. So again, is this the Baron planting clues in the past of things that he knows or is this truly a book from 1928 that that you know predicted that vanessa would be around yeah yeah it's all very tiny wimey yeah and the two of them talk about it as they're walking you know uh down uh, the street and it's funny that they're going off about a couple of things we just talked about who was this who was this chick she was like dating him when she was 19 and he's an older guy and you know they have some good back and forth about it but that doesn't last long because here comes a car blasting down the street and there's somebody with a gun pointed out the uh, window and they uh, they start shooting at both of them. And we get uh, our buddy uh, Donovan here. He gets shot right in the leg. And I love page 21 there where it shows the car kind of bearing down on the two of them like it's going to try to run them over. It reminds me of the movie The Car, that car in that movie. 
Yeah, and and we've talked about the coloring and and we've talked about negative space and things before. And it's so you know the it looks like the headlights are so bright that like parts of the car are missing. We don't see the windshield. We just see this bright explosion of yellow, um, mm -hmm. which adds. I think it makes the car more spectral in some sort of way, right? This isn't. It doesn't feel like a car. It feels like something more. Yeah, it's great. great. Yeah, yeah, that's a really good one by Gene and uh, Bob Smith there. And then the colorist, too, which I believe was Michelle Wolfman. But yeah, really, really good. And it, the car, you know, they shoot at them. It looks like they try to run them over as well. And they don't get it done, but they come back around. And this is when uh, the shot pops off and uh, hits Donovan in the leg. And then the two of them, uh, well, actually, Donovan then goes over the railing and Jack goes in after him. And he's like, well, at least they can't get us in here. And this is where we get the scene from the cover where this hovercraft with these uh, two machine gun wielding uh, guys come after them and just start blasting away. And then that's how uh, the issue ends. Yeah, it's those fake FBI agents, right? And so we're starting mm -hmm. to see like, you know, this web get, you know, tighten up a little bit. Yeah. And then what did you think here in the back pages here? So after that last page, we get these... Uh, sketches and it says night forces and we get you know the baron and merlin and we get one of uh jack and it, some just uh, like a little pieces of uh information about some of the behind the scenes stuff here and some uh sketches from uh, gene colin pretty cool pretty cool stuff yeah i i love seeing like you know how the sausage is made so you know seeing these like little sketches that they've done to sort of define the character um uh, I just love it. And each one has like a little phrase, right? Like, you know, next to this picture, Jack Old, it says reporter, dogged and determined. He has run the race and all too often it has won. Right. So he's like, <laughs> you know, kind of a beaten down guy. And the pencil sketch of him almost reminds me of um, an old time actor named uh, Dana Edwards, which you might know from Night of the Demon. Um, oh, uh, Dana Andrews. Yeah, yeah. Dana Andrews. Yeah, yeah. He's great. Um, yeah. He's great. And it kind of reminds me of him. And of course, he played in a lot of these film noirs where he was sort of like, mm -hmm. you know, the busted down cop. Um, so, yeah, he was a big time Hollywood actor until he I don't know. I know at one point they said he had become an alcoholic and gotten pretty bad shape. And I don't know if that's what made his career kind of go down. And then after that, he only did some of those, you know, B pictures yeah. um, in the 60s and stuff. But yeah, he was he was a big time actor. But yeah, I can I get what you're saying there with him. Yeah. Yeah, so solid issue top to bottom. Yeah, good stuff. Yeah, absolutely. So, all right, well, why don't we move on to issue four? And this is going to be more of uh, our uh, storyline, The Summoning. And this is a uh, cover date of November 1982. And uh, Gene Colan and Dick Giordano inker on the cover on this one. And then we have uh, our buddy Marv Wolfman writer, Gene Colan pencils, Bob Smith inks. Adrian Roy colors and letters by Todd Klein. So what do you think about this cover? This covers way different than the previous cover, right? Yeah, I think it totally pops. It's just all this like magenta uh, color. And then there's this, uh, you know, person half in shadow, a giant snake sort of looks to be like coiling out from either behind his neck or from his face that we don't see, mm -hmm. you know, towering over clearly Vanessa and, you know, the, you know, they're obviously in a cage of, of some sort. So this screams like horror. You know, the last mm -hmm. book looked more like police action. This yeah. is like, no, this is a horror book. Uh, just yeah. fantastic. Yeah, this is really cool. I maybe if I think Vanessa's dress 
it's very close to the background color. There's just like a, a couple of shades difference. Hers is like purple and that's like, you know, pink or like you said, magenta or something. But other yeah. than that, man, this is great. Cause yeah, that guy, whoever he is in the back of this like oh, prison cell or cage or whatever it is, like you said, you can't tell where this snake is coming from. It's, it almost looks like you said, like it becoming, it could be part of him. It could just be like wrapped around him. You can't tell. And that's what makes it even scarier. Yeah. Yeah. Just pops mm. right off the, you know, popped right off the, the spinner rack back then. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, I bet. So, yeah, this one's, uh, again, part four, uh, chapter four of the summoning, and it's just uh, entitled Eyes. And uh, uh, like I said, I'll uh, just do a little quick one here from the website. And it says, Jack and Donovan continue to search for Vanessa. Detective Short confronts Baron Winters about the disappearance of Vanessa. So, all right. Well, all right. Flip that page, and you get to this splash page here. We got our buddies, uh, uh, Jack and Donovan, they are in the water, bullets uh, raining down uh, right next to them. And of course, you know, uh, Donovan got shot in the leg, so he's not in too good a shape here. So what do you think of this splash page? Yeah, you know, picks up right where we left and certainly is, you know, you see, vip, 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 right, you know, everywhere and, and signs of gunshots. So, uh, you know, you're right back in the action. You know, you know, there's no there's no easing into this story. Left on a cliffhanger, pick up right where we left. Yeah, no time to take a breath with this. This is this is a lot of action here, especially to start out. And yeah, we see uh, you know the next page. Then the hovercraft. It's almost a full page again, where it's bearing down on them, and the guys are shooting at them again. And they kind of dive underneath the water, and Jack holds onto a tire that's stuck underneath there at the bottom of the the river here. And they kind of <laughs> this is interesting. So it says the the caption box says the thought of being a hero has never entered into Jack's mind. The concept of self-sacrifice is alien to him. Yet, from the river's floor, he grabs a sharp rock and cuts a gash into Donovan Kane's leg. And I'm thinking, his leg already has a bullet in it. I don't know if this is such a great idea, man. I mean, I get what he's going for here. I don't know how much sense it makes, but I, I get it. So a lot of blood goes to the surface, and the two uh, agents, you know, oh, there's blood. Yeah, we must have shot him. They're dead. And, you know, they don't even try to fish up the bodies, and they just leave, which I have a hard time believing that. But, yeah, I'm thinking, why don't you bash your own leg there, uh, Jack, because his one's already in bad shape. Yeah, you, you know, it's funny. They have, you, you know, you see the bullet hole, and you see blood coming out of the bullet hole, but I guess not enough blood. So, but you're <laughs> right. You know, he could have been like, I'll cut my own leg, right? You know, instead, yeah. me, my, my poor friend who's been shot, let me give him another wound. Yeah, or do it to your or do it to your arm because yeah, then you don't yeah. have to worry about like walking or running or anything like that. It's like, yeah, Jack. Well, I mean, nobody ever said Jack was the smartest guy, so let's right. we'll cut him a little bit of a, a break there. But um, oh, we haven't checked in back at the Potomac Psychiatric Hospital in a while, so we see uh, Doctor Rabin, and uh, she's being. Uh, I, I I wouldn't say she's being uh, uh, questioned by our buddy Detective Short, but he is, you know, trying to see what's been going on with Vanessa and what she has to say about it. And she's not really the most open with him either. And I don't understand why. I mean, it seems like she says a couple of things, but they're very general, very, I don't know, vague's the quite the word for it, but she doesn't seem to want to get in a lot of details either about Vanessa and what she's all about. So she basically tells him, Oh, well, you know, go see Baron Winters. <laughs> and he's like, Oh, okay. Yeah. It's all, um, 
you know, she is the non-believer, right? So even mm -hmm. though there's been a lot of crazy stuff, like, huh, she's covered in blood, but there's no wounds, right? There's a lot of weird stuff. She's just like, they were seizures. You can look at her chart to see when they happened, um, mm -hmm. uh, which, uh, you're right, doesn't tell the whole story. Yeah, he does write those uh, times down, though, and he does cross-reference them with the craziness that's been happening in Georgetown. And they do match up. And he said the timing's too perfect to be coincidental. And he says the times Van Helsing had seizures correlate perfectly with those strange apparitions all over town. The greatest damage was done during her kidnapping. And one of the other cops says, so what does it mean? And he goes, damned if I know, but I'm going to find out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Good luck. <laughs> yeah. And then they, they have a, a small panel on that page where we see Vanessa lying and it's just pitch dark wherever she is. And it says somewhere in England, Vanessa Van Helsing weeps in darkness. She is alone. And then you turn to the next page and wow, Gina, again, another great page here by him and uh, Bob Smith, right? Yeah. And, it, uh, you know, clearly it's, you see the anguish in her. And what I like is it's almost like a slow pull in, right? There's a small panel, you see her whole body and slowly we're moving in like closer to her face, her face than yeah. just eye, right? As, mm -hmm. as, as things pull in. Um, but you can see that she, you know, she's been alone all of her life because even though uh, these men have kidnapped her and drugged her, she's like, they say that they need her. Um, that means that she's not, she knows she isn't insane. Uh, and mm -hmm. that gives her some sort of hope. Right. Um, so, yeah. so she, again, like, you know, she has also lived a difficult life, um, in a different way than Jack. Yeah. I think it sort of in a way speaks to kind of why she very quickly got attached to Jack and had sex with him basically, because like yeah. you said, she's been alone her whole life and treated, you know, not the greatest and basically just used as an experiment and basically told she's, you know, nuts and they locked her up in this hospital. So other than Baron Winters being fatherly towards her or grandfatherly, however you want to look at it. And then Jack, she's really, you know what I mean? There's really been nobody that's shown her love or affection or anything like that her whole life. So it kind of not that it, it absolves Jack from being a scumbag, but it kind of yeah. makes it kind of does, you know, make it make sense from her standpoint. Yeah. Yeah, she she's desperate to feel love and be loved. Um, uh, and so it's very easy for for her to to fall into or to fall for Jack's, you know, smooth words. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, pretty neat here. So we then get an outside shot of uh, the Russian embassy somewhere in England. <laughs> I thought, yeah, are, uh, is that an undisclosed location to everybody except for the Russians and like. They you know the the, the British uh, government or what? You can't know where that is. <laughs> Too funny, but uh, yeah, we have uh, you know uh, Jack. Or I'm sorry, the, the are these like the fake agents? Uh, what are we calling them in this uh, room here? Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm sorry. An ambassador. Yeah, yeah an ambassador yeah. here, yeah, and on page seven, yeah. yeah. Um, and yeah. Uh, they basically like we're we're here to help. You know, we we have Vanessa. We're testing her. Yeah, and then I love how the yeah. one guy says, uh, "Please meet our specialist from the German Democratic Republic," and he says, "Herr Zakharij Zadok." And this is one creepy looking dude that looks like he's either been in a fire or yeah. some kind of chemical weapons or something were used on him. He's really creepy looking. 
Yeah, you know, it's funny. He has kind of like jaundiced eyes and like sores on his skin. So I thought he had like some sort of disease, but chemical warfare or something like that could also do it. And then I just wondered if it's that, as you know, we'll see very quickly, he has like malevolent psychic powers. And like, could this just be that, you know, his flesh is corrupt because of what he has inside? Yeah, and I love how he says to this uh, this guy that's, you know, one of the uh, uh, ambassadors, he says, where is my subject? And he says, um, she, er, she's in there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So this guy's like creeping him out too. And yeah, then again, there's uh, Vanessa on the floor, pitch dark and, you know, very little words. And like, I like how the captions, they're not even in caption boxes. They're just the words down there. You know, they're just caption boxes and not her words, though. But I like how they did that here. And then a door opens and you see this like uh, magenta kind of light coming in, too, which is kind of a callback to the cover a little bit. Right. Yeah. Yeah. These two pages, nine and ten, you know, um, if you asked me what pages would you want to own from, you know, the entirety Ooh. of this Night Force one, it would probably be these two. Like these are just gorgeous in a horror sort of way um they're just really fantastic yeah i'd love to see what these look like even just jean's pencils before it was even inked i imagine they'd be pretty wild looking yeah because vanessa is like inked in a classic way but then this guy is um you, you know he's um you know color color guarded or um what's the word i'm looking for um, well, well, yeah, he's not inked at all. He's almost he, just like part of the coloring. It's like a, just an yes. outline. Maybe Gene just did like an outline of him. And then the, the, the colorist here, Adrian Roy, just, you know, colored in. It's only two colors if you remove Vanessa. It's basically yeah. just, you know, like a, a red and a yellow. And then when the snake comes out, of course, there's a, like a gray and that magenta again. But yeah, oh, yeah, it's really creepy. Yeah, surprint is the word I was looking for. Yes. It's like not black inked. It's just inked in the color that 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 it is is done in. Yeah, um, she, she yeah, she takes one look at this guy and her eyes get really big. Like, who the heck is this guy? And he doesn't even answer her. He just basically begins to use his like psychic powers to like torture the crap out of her. Yeah, snakes come out of his eyes, snakes come out of his mouth, they're giant, they like pick her up and are biting, and the words, you know, uh, imagine like, you know, little uh, preteen uh, Ange reading this, and it's like, <laughs> viscous, viscous feelers crawl across her flesh, dripping pus-like ooze wherever they move, <laughs> entwining <Gross>. her, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, grab her, lift her into the overpowering blackness. She is sick. Yeah. Knife-like fangs rip through her clothing, cut into her face and chest, and less warm blood seeps from her open wounds. Like, it's just looking at it. And then when you read it and look at it, too, it's, man, it's wild. Yeah, yeah. The, you know, it's it's horrific, right? That's what this should be doing, is you should be looking at this and being, and being you know, terrified or at, or at least creeped out, you know. Uh, and these pages do that. It's just great. Yeah, it's wild. And, you know, he we see... On the next page, then, he didn't even go inside the room yet. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, and, and he almost seems surprised, right? There's a panel where he's like, she already knew I was here, right? I, it's almost like he hadn't even started yet. He just gave off such emanations, and she is so receptive to those emanations that it happened. Which, yeah. of course, made me then think, oh, my God, what's going to happen when he does do it, right? Like, he, this was mm -hmm. just him standing outside the room. He hasn't even done anything yet. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's really creepy to think that he doesn't, he actually just, you know, the, the aura he gives off freaked her out that much. Yeah. Yeah, and then, oh, here's Jack and uh, Donovan. They finally went to a hospital to get his, uh, his bullet wound looked at. <laughs> Probably a good idea. You know, gunshot wounds aren't anything to screw around with. Yeah. Infection and everything else. But, uh, you know, he says, uh, Donovan says right out, I want them. They have killed my wife, Gold. So <laughs> we see the two of them getting on. Of course, a double-decker bus, just to remind us all we're in London. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's a, a, a cop there uh, with his crazy hat on. So, yeah, you know where we're at. But <laughs> what do you yeah. think of this scene here when they get on this uh, on this bus and they talk about this book? You know, again, this book, it was printed in the 20s. How come there's a, a picture of Vanessa on it? You know, and uh, he goes, and who's the picture of that guy? He looks strange. And they look at it and they say uh, a guy and it says his name is Wolf Messing. What did you make of this? Yeah. And they're like, that's a picture taken of him in the 1960s. And this book was printed 60 years before that. And I freely admit, you know, we'll come up upon things that I did look up on the Internet, but I did not look up this guy. Oh, but he's real. Mm-hmm. Self-proclaimed yeah. psychic telepath and stage hypnotist. <laughs> so, yeah, Marv really did his homework on this one to look up and incorporate a lot of names of, you know, factual people that were involved with, you know, psychic phenomena and stuff like that. So you really, to me, you really got to give him his due because he could have just made up names on the fly and wrote whatever he wanted. And, you know, it probably would have been a lot easier for him. Yeah. Again, I I always say, you know, this was in the day before the Internet, right? I just typed Wolf Messing into a bar uh, and, and got that information. He had to go do hardcore research, right? Probably had books on a desk somewhere taking notes. And so good for him because, you know, I when I was reading this, I just, oh, it's a name, not realizing that all of this stuff was like there was some kernel of truth to all this. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, for all you kids out there, he was looking at a library or encyclopedias yeah. or, uh, you know, at a at a newspaper in their basement, the microfiche. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, that's what poor Marv was doing here. He wasn't just clicking a button on the computer. God bless yeah. him. <laughs> so, yeah, then uh, we get this scene here, and I really like this. To me, this was the best part of the book for me when uh, our buddy here, uh, Bar- the Baron, gets questioned by Detective Elliot. He comes to visit the Baron. And, you know, the Baron tries to be very coy with him, but it, it doesn't last long. No, no. And, and again, everybody kind of chips over this fact that he kind of – you know, the Baron kind of shoots himself in the foot, right? He talks about like, you know, oh, I fled during the Russian Revolution. Like, what were you, like a fetus, right? <laughs> you know, so, <laughs> so, uh, so it, it's it's interesting that, you know, um, everybody kind of toys around the idea that, that like, who is this guy and how old is he? Yeah, and then he does make mention that he is going to become Vanessa's legal guardian as soon as she turns 21, which I don't know why you need a guardian when you're 21, you're of age by that point. But I guess if, she's been certified as someone who's, you know, not mentally competent, then I guess, right. you know, you would need somebody. And that's, that's, that's our buddy, the Baron here, because she'll be an adult because uh, quite a few times already. And then a few more times during the next uh, issue and a half here, they make mention of, you know, she's almost 21. She's almost 21. She's almost 21. Yeah. Oh, yeah. man. Yeah. Go ahead. No, no, no. Uh, th- that's fine. Uh, go ahead. Yeah. And then uh, here we go with, uh, you know, our, our buddy Detective uh, Short here, he says, uh, 
this room's kind of stuffy. Why don't we go out into the garden and talk? No, short, stop. Don't open that door. And he opens the door and he looks out and he's thinking, what is going on? Yeah. <laughs> it looks like we're in colonial times. Yeah, yeah. You know, so we've seen um, a jousting match. We've seen turn of the century France. And now we've seen colonial America, all accessible from this house. Mm-hmm. And the Baron quickly comes over and slams the door and says, I prefer to stay indoors. And the short says, out of my way, winners. I saw something out there. And what in the hell? And he opens the door, but now he just sees a garden. And yeah. I, I love that. That's really cool. I like how, again, we know this happens at this house, but we don't know why or how. Yeah. And, it, you know, we I assume that the Baron has some sort of control over it, but he can't have that much control if any random person can open up a door and go somewhere. So, mm -hmm. yeah, very, very interesting. So, all right, back to uh, Jack and Donovan here. They're in their uh, hotel room uh, over in uh, London and they're checking out this crazy book. And, you know, uh, Jack's like, is that damn book going to help us at all? And <laughs> Donovan says, don't know. It's interesting to the layman, but I'm a parapsychologist. It's nothing new. And he says, it's just about Soviet involvement with the psychic sciences far greater than our own. They're way ahead of us on virtually every level. And, you know, you and I are of a certain age where, <laughs> you know, we know uh, there have been some times uh, throughout history, especially in the last, you know, 30, 40, even 50 years where, you know, there were other countries that had programs going with certain things, technological and whatnot, way before we did in the United States. And, you know, we're, we're ahead of us at the time. Yeah. And, and this is right in the heart of the Cold War, right? So anything mm -hmm. that is hinted at as like, you know, the Soviets are ahead of us in this, you know, at that point, you know, uh, remember this was like, you know, the day, uh, whatever that nuclear war movie was, was like the family movie of the week on television, right? People were worried <laughs> about this stuff, right? You know, so yep. this was tapping into real life concerns, but about the supernatural. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's pretty cool. You know, they have a really good conversation about it and, you know, Donovan just basically says like, hey, you know, I want to get back. I want to get back at these people for what they did to my wife. And then they kind of get a little personal here. And Donovan mentions about, you know, how he met his wife and, you know, how she, you know, they fell in love right away, even though he was a student and she was a teacher. But he says, uh, I do like this, though. He says that she changed her major and uh, they hooked up. And I thought, does he mean she changed her major so he wasn't going to be your teacher anymore or <laughs> yeah <laughs> and I'm, i assume that's what he meant but i didn't know if it was you know he met her on campus somewhere and she changed her major so she could be around him i didn't know what what he meant by that <laughs> yeah you know it's i i took the high road and thought that that mm. meant that she was like i won't be a student anymore so that it, it won't be as steep. inappropriate yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah so yeah they kind of get to know each other a little better here and uh, you know, that Jack kind of admits uh, how much of a degenerate he basically is about boozing and fighting and just, you know, being a complete idiot for the last, you know, I don't know, 15 years at least. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then this is where uh, uh, Donovan figures it out. He's like the Soviets mission missions right across that way. Looks like the, what the book's been trying to tell us. So then we switch to as they're getting ready to leave their hotel, we switch back to this uh insane uh zakarig zadok guy and he's uh got a like he's got vanessa tied up in a chair and he's got some kind of device with a wire to it and a headband on her and he says the drug is taking effect and he has a syringe in his hand too which is really scary and he says now yeah. she will be susceptible 
to my suggestions, we start the computer feed and vivate for, and he hits the button and she jumps up and just starts screaming. And wow, bottom of page 17 here, those three panels in succession where we see her jump up and start screaming. And he's there with the goons in the background. But again, it's just like you said before about like the serpent. It's, it's just all like white and pink. And then there's a, a black like uh, tie and like around his eyes are a little black. That's it. Yeah. And it's like she's going under. Right. So she's leaving mm-hmm. whatever this reality is. And, and they sort of recede. Right. Like the, yeah. the, the image of him suddenly is like much deeper in the next panel farther away to almost mm-hmm. show that she's like falling under whatever this is. Um, but yeah. Yeah. She scares the hell out of me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's it's wild. This next page is really wild. I mean, we see her like kind of just her outline and it almost looks like, you know, her mind is out in space somewhere. And the caption says in the darkness appears a silver moon whose white fire shines through the flickering starlight. And then you see the moon and all of a sudden it goes from this, you know, scene of just a moon where there's a face starting to form in the moon. And then boom, in that half page splash uh, down at the bottom there, we see. Now there again is this uh, insane looking serpent and its face is in the moon and it's uh wow, that's a really wild panel. Yeah, it's like shooting flame vision out of its eyes, and you know, it starts out, it says it hates what it sees and what it hates it destroys. And and so <laughs> it is, it's like a it's like a you know, she's having a bad trip, you know. Um yeah. uh, all guided by this guy. And again, the snake imagery I think is cool because again it goes back to just what he was emanating off of him just a few pages before. Yeah, I almost feel like if this would have happened, you know, a couple of decades earlier, it would have been Project MK Ultra here. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so poor Vanessa, yeah, but Donovan and Jack, uh, Donovan's figured it out. He kind of says to Jack, listen, this is what's going on, and he tries to put it as simple as he can. So you know, Jack can understand him that there's really nothing inherently evil about Vanessa, whatever. She just has a certain amount of psychic power to her. And when these people are feeding things like Satan and these images and these horrible things to her, she's basically just amplifying or magnifying that that stuff. It's not that really she's, you know, has a direct line to Satan and she's conjuring him up. Right. Yeah. And, and so you would think that like, if you want to tap into energy and you're going to use her, like think of something like, you know, a turbine or a battery and not demons. right? <laughs> mm-hmm. It just seems like you're playing with fire. Right. He talked yeah. about, yeah, we like flooded her mind with pictures of the devil. And, you know, that's what manifested because that's what she does, you know? And, uh, and, and then he, you know, he, he says, you know, she could destroy the entire world, right? You know, she's been mm-hmm. living with pains that she's absorbed. She's been living with horror. And if she's able to psychically manifest all of this stuff, like we're all going to be doomed, right? You know, and that even <laughs> scares Jack, who just has this like blank look on his face and says, great God in heaven, you know? Yeah, that's a good panel by Cole in there. His eyes like are like super wide open and he has the yeah. cigarette there. That's really good. And then the next page, wow. Yeah, it looks like, you know, the, the moon is going to absolutely explode outside of this uh, embassy here. And, you know, one of the things it says, uh, Marv wrote here is, Sodom and Gomorrah perish this way, burning in its own evil lusts. Plague-ridden ancient Egypt suffered this way, swept over by a tide of their own dark hates, and hell was born this way, created from that sinister primal atom that painfully pulsates within all. <laughs> Great stuff. Yeah. I yeah. love it. Yeah, and, and it's funny because, you know, I can tell you as a kid, 
uh, you know, and again, just burgeoning into teenage years, right? I'm not quite there when I read this. All of these things that are like, you know, like pus-filled ooze and pulsating <laughs> atoms. I'm like, is it kind of sexual? I don't know. It's like, you know, maybe I was looking for that stuff as I was hitting puberty. Yeah, well, yeah, a Sodom and Gomorrah reference there. That would yeah. be right up your alley then. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So then here's that creepy, you know, doctor. Uh, what the heck is his name? Zachary Zedok yeah. guy. And he's standing right next to her and she's freaking out. But again, she's tied to a chair. So she's not doing anything. And a couple of his like goons here are like, listen, dude, you better give her that uh, uh, injection of a, a tranquilizer. Because she's freaking out like something bad's going to happen. He's like, no, no, we must push her further. This is raw power unleashed. Yeah. And in the very next page there, page 21, we see this, you know, insane, like a, almost like a bolt of energy and fire blast the crap out of that German doctor guy. And just it just kills him. He's like incinerated, I guess, just about on fire. And the other guy grabs a syringe and, you know, I, I'm assuming he uh, gives a tranquilizer to Vanessa. And they're like, hurry, let's get the heck out of here. They go blasting out of there, but that's it for the doctor, I think. Yeah, yeah. And he says in that panel when he's like, this is raw power, he goes, you know, she hates everything about herself. And what she hates, she has to destroy. So you just see, she's like a grenade that's just waiting for the pin to be pulled, right? We're starting mm -hmm. to see that all of this torture that she's been deal dealing with in her life is going to, you know, somebody has to control it or, or the world's in trouble. Yeah, and on page 22 there, you know, you turn the page and it says... Uh, Zadok has unleashed a demon that dwells within this young woman's mind. For an all too brief moment, he revels in his success and then he pays the price. So <laughs> yeah. about two, two seconds before he gets obliterated here, he's like, I did it. And then he's like, uh oh, and he's done. Yeah. Turn to ash. <laughs> yeah. The one guy, everything is destroyed. What do I tell the police? What do I tell the ambassador? What do I say? And the other guy says, you are a diplomat. You figure it out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's got a good point there. Yeah. <laughs> well, so then by the time Jack and Donovan get there, the place is, uh, you know, smoke filled and burning to the ground. And they're like, uh oh. And uh, Donovan says, Vanessa did this. And Jack says, you kidding me? He said they were probably testing her and she went wild. They couldn't stop her. So, you know, then they're just like, oh, crap. And he goes, imagine if what imagine what she could do if her powers were totally controlled. And now what? Isn't it obvious they've taken her to the Soviet Union? So uh, they uh, they're heading to uh, to Russia here in this. Uh, but is that pile of crap that's there smoldering? Is that what's left of uh, the doctor there? Yes, I think that Zachariah's Akaj just ashes. There's nothing left to him but a smoking pile of ash. Yeah, that's wild. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, great issue. So uh, what are your thoughts on this one overall? Pretty good, right? Yeah, I got to tell you, like, you know, this is one of those comics that I would say I probably revisit every five or six years. Every time I read it, I'm like more taken by it. Like, this is not a quick read by any means. And, you know, mm -hmm. it's like we have, you know, different plots happening in different parts of the world. Um, and clearly the threat level is building, right? We had from the very beginning a high body count, but now you're starting to see you know, Vanessa might not be the hero in this. Vanessa might be the problem in this. And, <laughs> and how are we going to solve that? Yeah. Yeah, you're not kidding. So, all right. Well, on to issue number five. So this one is a cover dated December 1982. And it's Gene Colan and Bob Smith cover on this one. Uh, and then, of course, Marv Wolfman, you know, writer, editor, Gene Colan pencils, Bob Smith inks, Michelle Wolfman back on colors, and Todd Klein on letters. So thoughts on this cover, uh, sir? 
Yeah, you know, it's it's mostly purple, which I think is an interesting color. Um, and uh, the words Night Force are yellow, so I think they contrast nicely. And it's kind of like a montage of like, this is all of the stuff that you're going to see here. You know, we have a shot of Jack carrying Donovan in the snow. There's a weird scientific city in the background. Vanessa chained to a chair. And then larger than life and not in purple tones is the Baron kind of brooding. And so you sort of see like, Maybe this is all of the things that he's thinking about. And then there's just a random skull there. So maybe he's like, you know, <laughs> you, know you know, there's going to be things that someone's going to die or there's going to be some sort of death. And and he's like, it's almost like he's trying to puzzle it out, right? Like these are all mm -hmm. of the moving pieces in this. And how is it all going to come together? I, I, yeah. I like it. What do you think? Oh, it's fantastic. And I like how the skull looks like it has half a mustache. So I don't know what yeah. happened to the other <laughs> But yeah, this is really, really, really good. I enjoy this quite a bit. I wouldn't, I mean, I don't know what you could change on this to make it any better. Maybe a color choice here or there, but it's really good. And like you said, the Baron in the forefront uh, looks really, really good. He's, you know, got his cane there and he's standing there with this, like half his face is in shadow and the, the half that we can actually see, you know, he's got this like almost sinister look on his face and there's poor Vanessa down there strapped into yet another device. Uh, poor Vanessa. Yeah. Yeah. It's only going to get worse. <laughs> Oof, man. Yeah. So uh, chapter five of the summoning city on the edge of hell. So uh, this one is Jack and Donovan travel across Russia to reach science city number five where Vanessa is being held. So, OK, bang right into this one again. Action here. Something crazy right off of the uh, splash page here. I love city on the edge of hell up there at the top. Uh, you know, I'm assuming that's uh, Todd Klein there. Maybe not. I know sometimes you know, uh, logos and stuff like that were done by other uh, letterers, you know, Gaspar Saladino, he did a lot during his day, but wow. What do you think of this page? Yeah. You know, it, it's certainly different, right? Because, um, you know, all of a sudden we're in snow covered mountain peaks and these thugs are sort of pushing Vanessa to walk through the snow. And, mm -hmm. and in some ways that's good because you're sort of like, wait a minute, you know, what's happening here, you know? So, so you're already curious as, as you come on in. And, and again, you know, Gene is just, I think, at the top of his game here. I mean, this just mm. one. Yeah, I, I will say this. After even just getting through these first few, and I have skimmed through the other issues before, but not read them, you know, and checked them out, read them in depth and, you know, taken notes and looked for things. So obviously there's still a ways to go. But other than Tuma Dracula, this might be my favorite Gene Colan uh, work. It, it might be. Yeah. Completely solid. Yeah, I, I love his Daredevil. I think that's really, really super good stuff that he did. He did two really good runs on that title. That usually was number two for me, but I think this might be creeping into number two here because this is just so good. And <laughs> I like at the top how it says, Siberia, it is 17 below zero. And like a steel scalpel, the keen wind cuts through their fur-lined parkas. And I'm telling you right now, if I was Vanessa, 17 below, I would be like, just, just shoot me already. I can't Yeah. Yeah. 17 below. Whoa, no thanks. <laughs> yeah, can I have a scarf, please? <laughs> yeah, I mean, she, she does have, like, a parka and gloves on, but, yeah, her face and, like, you know, is, like, wide open. Like, the other guys have, like, goggles on and, like, turtlenecks, but I'm like, geez, but holy smokes, when you turn the page and pages two and three, it's a two-page splash of this, you know, as I said, in the uh, little one-sentence uh, synopsis there, Science City number five. Holy smokes. I mean, it's not... The, the 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 science city that it's called that itself isn't super detailed it's a bunch of different uh structures in like all these you know wild geometric shapes and there's like a pyramid type building that's kind of in the center of it and like 
It's wow. What a crazy, crazy uh, piece this is by Colin and Smith here. Yeah, it's, you know, when I think of things like, oh, you know, futuristic cities, there's usually some sort of like grid or pattern or things like this. This seems unbelievably random. And then there's a lot of like exposed pipes. And like you say, buildings that are just the shape is too weird to be like functional in some sort of way. So it's confusing in an interesting way. Like you want to look like, why does it look like this? So. Yeah, I mean, it's in the middle of Siberia, so who knows what goes on there, man. And I think that's yeah. just like, there's nothing out there but snow and gulags. That's all I can yeah. <laughs> think of. But Marv really goes out of his way here. I mentioned earlier, there's a small caption box at the bottom of page three. And with the arrival of Vanessa Van Helsing, one day shy of turning 21, their work can finally begin. And, you know, these uh, two uh, henchmen here that are taking her to this place, uh, one of them says, look at it, lady, this is going to be your new home. And I love this caption box, too, on page uh, two here as well, where Marv goes out of his way to get really specific here. He says more than 900 scientists labor here, more than 2000 technicians, 600 maintenance personnel, 75 kitchen workers and 50 miscellaneous crew persons assist the scientists in performing their government sponsored duties. That's a lot of people. Yeah, yeah. I think that's uh, that's exactly the reason why he's doing this is to say, like, this is truly a base of some sort. This isn't mm -hmm. like 12 guys. Yeah, this is this is like bigger than their space program. Yeah. Yeah, this is wild. And she's just like, why did you bring me here? What are they going to do to me? Like, like, let me go. And they're like, yeah, no, that's not happening. So, you know, get into this crazy little it almost looks like something out of Johnny Quest. It's almost yeah. like a. Like this little like torpedo looking thing with skis on the side and a big jet engine on the back of it that, you know, blasts them down from this cliff and into the uh, crazy little uh, science center here. Yeah, right into the and And she, you know, at first is, is scared, but then she says, you know, the Baron won't let me be hurt. I know he won't. So um, she's still holding out hope. Yeah. And the one guy says, my dear, the Baron isn't your friend any more than Kane or that reporter. So these guys know exactly what's going on here. I mean, I think it still might uh, supposedly be uh, that uh, those stand-ins, uh, Simmons yeah. and uh, James, those two stand-in uh, FBI guys that are like the, the, the lookalikes. But yeah, wow, really cool base here. Then they have like, I don't know, 12, 13 or 14 of these little like docks for all these crazy torpedo-like things to, <laughs> to like almost like a garage they can <laughs> park inside. Yeah. It's really, really neat. Mm, yeah. And then, wow. Page six, another full page by Gene in this one where it shows the inside of this pyramid shaped, uh, you know, structure where it looks like this is where all the main testing goes on and where these all these people that we're going to see that are going through this testing that have all these different psychic abilities. This is really wild. Yeah. Um what I love about this is, is again, you know, uh, Marv is really getting into the details. So he's like, this is four levels tall, but each level is more than 75 feet high. So this thing is big, right? This is like a 12 story mm -hmm. building basically. Yeah. And, and unbelievably empty in the center. And it's all of these like old school computer banks, like you would expect from something from 1982. And then a giant pentagram at the bottom. Right. So, mm -hmm. So it's this mix of science and sorcery that that has been throughout this thing um, that is just wild. Uh, it's like you said, it, this is like, you know, a futuristic, you know, 
devil temple of some sort. <laughs> yeah, it almost reminds me of that crazy uh, building from Forbidden Planet with all those different levels and stuff okay. like that. When yeah, they're looking yeah. down there and stuff. Yeah, it's wild. And again, Marv with a caption box here. But far below is the single sight which causes Vanessa's stomach to tighten in terror. A giant pentacle seems to wait for her to beckon her. Somehow Vanessa senses what must come next. So she's like, oh boy, here we go. <laughs> yeah. Mm, and then, you know, page uh, seven there. We have three separate panels, you know, um, horizontal panels. And you see these scientists working with these psychics. And uh, the, the guy here that's, you know, one of the FBI uh, stand-ins is uh, telling uh, her what's going on here, telling Vanessa what's going on here. This is what this person can do. And this one, you know, can is a telekinetic. And I found that really interesting. I was really, really impressed with, you know, Marv actually making all these people not only, you know, do they have their own, you know, unique look to them, but their own unique powers. And each of the scientists working with them is definitely all unique here. Really, really good stuff. Yeah. And I think it builds on that. You know, we heard last issue, they're way ahead of us when it comes to this sort of stuff, way ahead. And then you see like all of these people, you know, this could be like their version of like superheroes, right? One of them is like, mm -hmm. she can fall asleep and take control of somebody else's body a thousand miles away. This guy's going to be able to levitate pianos with his mind in a short period of time. So it does show that, you know, you know, they're, they're creating, you know, super agents um, uh, that, and, uh, you know, obviously America doesn't have anything like that. That's why they're hiring people like Kane to move forward. Yeah, and it's interesting because, you know, the book starts out with, you know, these two sinister fake FBI guys. And they're not being excessively rough or anything with Vanessa, but they're kind of like shut up and get moving with her. And, you know, showing her these kind of ominous, you know, things and these tests that, you know, are going on. And nobody looked like they were in pain during these tests or anything like that. But it's probably against their will. So. You don't really look forward to that. And then when she saw that pinnacle, too, she was like, oh, crap. And everything looks pretty gloomy. But then she meets this guy, Professor Valdis. So when I'm reading this, there he's this elderly gentleman with, like, curly white hair, big mustache and beard. And he seems very gentlemanly, very grandfather-like. He's very nice to Vanessa. And he's telling her, like, listen, you're, you, we're not going to hurt you here. Like, look at these great things we are doing here. And he shows her, you know, this one guy that's doing something with energy. and this, you know, young girl that's, they've, you know, used her power to kind of like turn her into this like Picasso. And uh, she's also, you know, Michelangelo, Mozart, the people he mentions. And he really starts like getting her to warm up to him, right? Yeah, I mean, they say it, you know, actually in a caption box where it says, you know, his words are soothing and comforting, like the gentle tone of a loving grandfather. She feels at ease with him. And, and indeed, he's like saying, like, look at, you know, it's because we've been helping these people that they're able to like achieve these things. Right. You know, it's almost like he's showing off and, uh, and you're right. You know, he, he, he says to her, you know, how much do you truly know about yourself? And, and you can tell like, this is one of the questions that she has. Um, and so it's almost like maybe she would willingly take part of, of this experiment if he continued to, to act this way. Yeah, he really, I mean, call me Carl, he keeps saying, because she'll call him yeah. Professor, Professor. Oh, call me Carl, this, that, and the other thing. And he introduces her to this crazy machine, and um, I'm not sure how I feel about this. It's uh, It almost just looks like a big pile of crap, like <laughs> um, just tubes, and it just it doesn't look very impressive, whatever. He says it's the psychotronic generator, and 
I'm like, okay. And he says, I have renamed it my psych, my psychotron. And it's like, all right, cool. But I just, the way it looks, I just, I don't know, man. It just doesn't really have a, uh, a, a uh, psychotron look to me, I guess. Yeah. Well, you know, it's fascinating because he says it analyzes your specific bioenergy. Robert Pavlida, who discovered it, says its secret is in its form. And sure enough, there is a real Robert Pavlida who talked about building psychotrons that somehow is like it's not a machine. It's like you put together something that has a specific form that helps, you know, capture psychic energy in a way that isn't so controlled. You're right. It looks like you know, like when people make modern art out of rusted junk they find in a junkyard. That's actually what it looks like to me. Uh, but it must be tuned to her in a way that that will help focus all of that energy. Yeah, and she sits down in a chair, and he has a wristwatch on. Uh, looks like a normal wristwatch, but it, it, it definitely isn't because he pushes a little button on this wristwatch as she sits down uh, on this, like, bench. And all of a sudden, these, like, almost looks like tubes or pipes or something like that kind of surround her that she can't move. And then he gets this very sinister look in his eyes and he says, uh, well, she says, what? I can't move all these bars holding me. What's going on? He says, simply, my dear, we need you. I said you were the most powerful psychic ever recorded. Your powers can be absorbed by my psychotron. They can be controlled. Uh, and uh, yeah, we see he's not the nice guy, the, the loving grandfather and warm grandfather we thought he was. Yeah, and and so uh, what do you think of that? Because part of me is like, couldn't he have continued to be warm and grandfatherly and have her like willingly take part in this and use the machine um, was one question I had. And then the other question I had was like, what was the purpose of being um, grandfatherly unless they worried that if they like just tried to drag her to the chair that she would immolate them the way she did, you know, the German guy last issue. So they had to like trick her into the chair. Yeah, that's what I kind of thought. Maybe he was being nice to her because he realizes what kind of power she has and he was scared. And like you said, though, but why couldn't he just keep being nice to her? They might have been able to get out of her what they want if he would have just kept being nice to her. But I don't know, maybe then again, you know, like you have to get her worked up with yeah. you know, fear and get her emotions worked up with like fear and stuff like that to get the most out of her. I'm not sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, but but, you know. She's where they want her to be, uh, and we'll find out what happens soon. Mm, yeah, so <laughs> here comes the uh, plane from London landing, and it's uh, landing in Moscow, and Jack and Donovan are here, and somebody at the airport, uh, one of the commies, is like, your papers are out of order. What is your reason for coming to this country? And they're supposed to be there under some cover that they are there for a psychic convention or something like that. Yeah. You figure one of them is into that bit of science. You know, Donovan is. And he's, you know, like an accredited doctor and everything like that. So I would think he'd be able to get in there. And then also Jack, you know, he was supposedly going to be able to get them in with his credentials for being, you know, with a, a paper. But this guy doesn't like uh, the look of them. So he's ready to run them in. But all of a sudden, this guy that uh, slightly resembles Adolf Hitler with this mustache <laughs> comes <laughs> over and says, uh, I will handle these two. Come with me. And the guy says, yes, General Korda. So we learned to find out here that this general guy in the Soviet army is, you know, uh, under the, I shouldn't say under, he's a, he's one of uh, uh, the barons, uh, you know, uh, pawns, basically. He's a guy that basically works for the baron on the side. Yeah, and he says, uh, I think somewhere he says, you know, uh, my father worked for the baron, and so I worked for the baron. So again, laying in this sort of timelessness of the baron himself, and 
and you know how old is he and all of that sort of stuff yeah jack says to him hold on he called you general but you can't be real you're the baron's agent right and he says i am a general and i am loyal to my country but i also serve the baron as did my father and his father before him <laughs> crazy good yeah good good stuff so yeah he's taking them to uh like a, a small airfield somewhere and they're going to get on like a little plane here, like a little prop plane. And they're just about on the plane when another Soviet uh, uh, general or something like that comes up from behind and says, Comrade, we have been watching you. You collaborate with our enemies. You are thereby expendable and knifes them right in the back. And I wonder, is this guy just a, you know, a Soviet general, soldier, whatever that sees he's up to shenanigans? Or is this guy uh, a plant of you know, the Baron's, uh, yeah. uh, yeah, yeah. His, uh, what do you want to call him? His, uh, his enemy. Yeah. His counterpart, well, whoever the guy is in the chair. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. hard to know. Yeah. It's interesting to think about though, but it's funny. They start running after the plane, stop the plane, stop the plane. And Jack, I just knew it wasn't going to be simple. And he's all, and he says, come on, Ivan, move this crate. And the guy says, no, that is the police. I will not. And he takes something out of his pocket here. I don't know what the heck that is but he shoves it into his back as if he's got a gun to him. And the guy thinks he has a gun to him. So he starts the plane up and they take off. Yeah. Uh, it looks like a pen to me uh, or maybe like a small flashlight, but it's a little silly. <laughs> yeah. That's kind of wild. I was like, what? But I was like, okay, whatever. Suspend that disbelief. It's not that big a deal. I just tell myself. And <laughs> I like how uh, this is even more hard to believe that the plane takes off. And Jack, I'm assuming, says to uh, swerve towards some uh, oil drums that are just laying around out in the middle of nowhere. And it knocks them over. And then gunfire and a casually tossed match does yeah. the rest. What? <laughs> Get, yeah. Come on, man. <laughs> yeah. A little bit too, a little bit too crazy. Yeah, because yeah, it's little... just a massive explosion that blows up this, like, you know, troop transport. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy, but well, they're heading to Siberia, but uh, back in Georgetown, Washington, D.C. Wow, what a really, it's not a very big panel, but a really cool panel there at the bottom of page 16 where it shows, it almost looks like the Ghostbusters uh, ambulance. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> is, out, is out in front of Baron Winter's place, and it's uh, another showdown here between Dr. Rabin and the Baron where they're uh, going back and forth at each other. Not a big scene, but, you know, three or four panels, but they're at each other again. Yeah, you know, if Vanessa isn't back in 48 hours, you know, Detective Short swore he would put you behind bars, and I live for that day. Uh, mm-hmm. And, you know, the Baron is like, you know, I was afraid this might happen if my night force should fail me, and I shudder to think of the consequences, because we know he can't leave the house, right? So, mm-hmm. uh, so yeah. you know, the clock is ticking. Yeah, and then a good shot of the, the crazy uh, prop plane with the, the old Russian uh, red star on the side of it. Uh, blasting through Siberia, and the guy says, this is as close as I dare go. We're still nine miles from Science City, but if I press on any further, the storm will destroy my plane. So the two of them parachute out. Keep in mind, they're nine miles away, and the guy already said before it's 17 below zero. I get it. They have goggles and mittens and parkas. I I totally understand that. But if you were dropped in Siberia, nine miles from any kind of civilization— uh, I don't think a parapsychologist and a sleazy reporter are going to make it. No, I completely agree with you. And they've got snowshoes and, and poles, but it doesn't matter. 
right? You know, do you know how easy it is to get lost, right? You know, in that bitter cold, they they should not be able to make it. Yeah, no time do they pull out a compass or anything. They just yeah. they just land and they start walking in one general direction. So unless maybe yeah. the pilot gave them some directions, I'm thinking, how did you even know where it was? But okay. Yeah. And if your body's not used to that kind of temperature and blowing, I mean, because I'm sure the wind chill is probably like minus 30 because there's snow blowing around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They'd be they'd be toast. But, you know, they they forge on and they uh, talk uh, amongst each other. It's interesting, you know, some, uh, you know, some interesting conversation between them, almost like getting to know each other better, which up until this point, they've been pretty, you know, pardon the pun, cold toward each other uh, for most of it here. But, yeah, they do have some uh, interesting conversation. They even talk about comics. Yeah, yeah. They talk about classic comics. And uh, and again, more backstory of Jack, I think, just to make sure that we understand that, you know, He's lived a rough life. You know, he's got, you know, a sister who's a doctor and a brother who's an engineer. And, you know, he had a good job and lost it. And so, you know, yeah, he just must feel, you know, pretty terrible about himself. Yeah, yeah. His uh, his self-worth is not very high. That's for sure. But they yeah. collapse. But then the next thing you know, like, hey, wait a minute. Just look over the, you know, the ridge here. And they found uh, the crazy secret city. Yeah, yeah. Uh, amazingly that they got just as they were, <laughs> like, they, you know, they're lying down and they're like, you know, I, I guess we're we're going to die. And then they peek over the ridge and there they are. Yeah, Donovan, there it is. And uh, I love uh, Jack. Hot damn, we did it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, yep, they did it all right. And the next, you know, there are, you know, guns pointed at them because uh, they've been uh, found right away by uh, the uh, henchmen here. But, oh, man. Poor Vanessa, here we go, back inside, and, you know, she's inside, and she's like, why are you doing this to me? Please tell me why. What are you going to do? And uh, our boy here, Professor Valdis, says, my dear, I have worked on this project for the past four years. I supervised my field agents in arranging your capture. This is the very moment I've dedicated my life to reaching. I'm going to enter your mind. I'm going to tap into your bioenergy, use my psychotron to absorb your psychic link, linking with the evil force, and then, my dear Miss Van Helsing, you shall learn the stuff that nightmares are made of. So not good here for our buddy Vanessa. No, not at all. And again, a nice, uh, you know, those top two panels show she's terrified. And again, mm. Dean, you know, brings the camera in to sort of like let you, you know, get a real good sense uh, of what she's feeling. Yes. And it, the, the, the she her very huge eyes like she is like in fear like they're really conveying yeah. terror with her and then you look at the face and mannerisms of uh professor valdis and he's very casual about what he's supposed to do which makes it even more chilling yes yes wow so yeah a lot happened in these three issues a lot happened a lot's going on a lot's going to happen yet but really really good uh three issues don't you say yeah yeah and and i have to say again you know i've read it before but you like when i read that last page and I'm like saying, OK, when they like just scratched the surface of her, like 10 people died in Washington, D.C. in a neighborhood. Like if they really open things up, this is not going to end well. So, you know, I'm very <laughs> looking forward to reading the next issue. Yeah. Well, yeah, me and you both. So, yeah, it's going to be you figure issue six and seven. And then I think for some reason, didn't they split up eight or is it nine? One of them that's like split in half. It's like the conclusion of the summoning. And then it starts off with the next storyline as well. But yeah, I, I I think it might be eight. So if that's the case, we might just do six, seven and that half of eight. Or if we're feeling froggy, maybe we'll even start diving into the next one. But at least we'll finish 
uh, on our next episode for sure. We'll finish the summoning here. And uh, yeah, wow. Uh, it's it's going to get crazy. I can feel it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, all right, man. Well, that's going to wrap us up for uh, this episode. So uh, if anybody's looking for you out there in the uh, ether, where can they find you? Yeah, I'm most active on Twitter at uh, Dr. Ange 70 And uh, I have a Supergirl fan blog called Comic Box Commentary, where I sort of talk about Supergirl and all of the Superman family. Yeah, really good stuff out there. So definitely check uh, Ange out and give him a follow on Twitter and uh, check out the blog as well. So thank you, my friend, once again. This has been a good ride so far, but it's a... Uh, it's going to get even crazier here, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I and I have to say, I, I mean it. Thank you so much for asking me to do this because I don't know when I would have picked this up again. Um, but I am in, I am enjoying it the most I have enjoyed it with this read because um, uh, I think it just gets better with age. Awesome. Yeah, I mean, I, like I said, I'm just reading through it now for myself for the first time, like full read through and looking forward to uh, what's coming up here. So thanks for uh, coming along with me for the ride, man. I appreciate it. Alrighty. All right. Uh, I'm going to step out here and uh, wrap things up when I come back in a minute. Make Halloween fun with one-stop shopping at Woolworth or Woolco for your Halloween needs. Costumes from $1.83 to $3.99, like $6 million man, bionic woman, superheroes, Batman, Superman, Spider-Man, and a new favorite for girls, Holly Hobby. You can get wrapped candies of every kind. Bubblegum, lollipops, fun-sized candy bars. Get this Halloween record. Sounds to make you shiver just $1.89. Make Halloween fun and easy. Make just one stop at Woolworth or Woolco. Okay, everybody, that's going to wrap up this episode of the show. Once again, I want to thank Dr. Ranch for coming on and doing this with me. Good guy. Check out his blog. Definitely give him a follow on Twitter. And then, uh, you know, definitely stay tuned so uh, we can uh, wrap up uh, the summoning in our next episode. Uh, we're really looking forward to that. And then uh, what lies beyond? Take care, everybody. Mm-hmm.